Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Good morning and welcome to the Michael Reed Show. Cahill Dervin with you between now and 11 o'clock. And we're going to begin today with the news that nurses may go on strike after Christmas. 95% of members of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation have voted to take industrial action in the new year. And joining me now to discuss this is David Miskell, who's the Industrial Relations Officer with the INMO. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Cahill. 95% of 40,000 uh, members of your organisation is a large number of people, David. Yes, certainly. I think the, the significance, I suppose, of that decision is indeed a result of that magnitude is indicative of the deeply held frustrations that um, are across the nursing profession with the current state of affairs, both in terms of the working environment due to unsafe staffing levels and pay. Um, it is um, it is actually only the second time in our 100-year history that national strike action um, has been engaged in. The last time was two decades ago in 99. So certainly, yes, it's a significant decision, but I suppose, Cahill, that's where where we are at. Um, it's indicative of, I suppose, what the uh, frustrations of nurses and we don't feel that we can go on in this manner um, any longer. Just give us an idea, David, of what negotiations have taken place to lead you to this point. Okay, so in terms of we, um, the INMO voted to accept um, the past, the last public services pay agreement um, and we did, did so on the basis that we would um, engage in what was a recruitment and retention module as part of that. And the purposes of that exercise in our minds uh, was uh, that that would look at measures that would improve uh, recruitment and retention for nurses and, uh, you know, but, but the corollary of which obviously is an increase in staffing and an aspect of that of which clearly is pay. Um, unfortunately, um, that that body did not uh, make any recommendations um, that we believe would have effectively dealt with this crisis. Um, the proposals that emanated from that, um, that exercise were actually rejected by 94% uh, of IMO members, and they were rejected mainly for the reason that they affected um, very few of our members and that they, in fact, under, under no circumstances could possibly address the recruitment and retention crisis. So it's here, you know, it's here that we find ourselves. Um, you know, we're very much of the view that this isn't necessarily um, an avenue we wish to take. Nurses would prefer to be caring for their patients in a safe environment. But unfortunately, um, you know, at this stage, people really feel there is no other option. Um, but I suppose from our perspective, we believe we've engaged you know, meaningfully, we have 
explored all avenues. This decision is not one that's taken lightly, but unfortunately, this is where we find ourselves. A lot of people listening this morning will be worried that come the new year, and I think your executive is going to meet on January the 7th and the 8th to decide when a potential strike action. January the 14th is the date, is it? That date hasn't been, that date has not yet been confirmed. Our executive will meet on the 7th um, to finalise that matter. Um, obviously, in an industrial dispute of this nature requires consideration and our agreements uh, with the HSC in respect of such matters then have an element of contingency planning built into it, which will have to be looked at. Um, so the executive will decide those matters on that date. Um, but what, what can people expect? I mean, in terms of a 24-hour stoppage, how will it affect patients going into A&E, for example, or patients already on wards? Okay, so what will be, and as I said, and I'll press uh, the, the common call by saying that the, the, there will be a significant element in terms of contingency planning to be discussed. But it is a 24-hour dispute. It is a 24-hour work stoppage with the provision of emergency cover only. So, for example, for presenting at ED, it will be, will, there will be emergency cover um, for that time period, you know, for the 24 hours. Say, for example, for an operating theatre, it would be something potentially like an on-call team, uh, an emergency on-call team to deal with something, uh, you know, an emergency that came in that needed to be dealt with. But obviously it will be a significantly reduced service. But the service, is, the service is already very stretched, David. I mean, every day we read and we hear about tr- people on trolleys, people, and uh, for over 400 people yesterday uh, were admitted to A&Es and ended up on trolleys across the country. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose this is exactly the point we're making. I mean, I've previously, in previous years, you know, four or 500 patients on trolleys in any given day has been called a crisis. Now it's routinely 700. Um, and that is you know, unfortunately, that has now be, those statistics have now become normalised. Um, like it, it's some, it simply is, isn't you know sustainable. I mean, we're now even entering into a um, obviously we're entering into a very challenging period in terms of the of winter and that you know the challenges that that season brings with it. I mean, we've met the HSE recently, which you know belatedly, somewhat belatedly, a winter plan was been has been produced, but it doesn't increase capacity at all for this year and very nominally um, you know for next year but ultimately uh, again capacity is one thing but if you don't have the staff uh, to to you know address that well then capacity is you know capacity on paper is one thing I mean if you look at I suppose even as we as we talk here this morning Cahill there's over 2,600 less nurses uh, in the public health system than there were in 2007 and hundreds of nursing vacancies filled across the country services are stretched to capacity as they are you know so the, the government the government have argued david that the pay is not an issue when it comes to retention and the recruitment of nurses yes and we fundamentally dis- we fundamentally disagree with them so if i take for example at first instance um, if you do a very basic you know a comparison the the, the entry point um, for a staff nurse or staff midwife is just over, it's just over 28,000 euro. Uh, an allied health professional, um, an allied health professional, it is just slightly over 35,000 
um, 35,000 euro. That's the first point of the salary scale. I'm sorry, David. What's an allied health professional? Sorry, yes, exactly? when I refer to an allied health professional, I'm referring to a physiotherapist, for example, or an occupational therapist. So there's 6,000, um, 6, nearly 7,000 euro yes, in the nearly difference. nearly 7,000 euro in the difference for both of those entry grades. Now, the ner- there is absolutely no difference of any description in the requirements. Nursing is a primary degree profession exactly the same as any of those, you know, groups. And yet there is no, you know, there is no logical difference uh, for such a disparity. It's, it's completely unfair and it absolutely needs to be addressed. And it is absolutely self-evident in our minds that clearly such, if I'm a, a, you know, if I'm coming out, you know, of doing my leaving cert, I'm making a decision on a career, you know, you look at that, you know, what road, what road would you go down? It, it clearly is. It clearly is an issue. It, it definitely that, has to be an issue. That discrepancy, um, that discrepancy continues as you serve longer and longer in this health service. Yes, it? of course. The, yes, the, the gap only perpetuates itself as you go on. But the crucial distance as well with that, and I mean, I'm talking about. I've given you the two starting points and the disparity. But not only that, a nurse must work more hours. Uh, for um, a nurse must work more hours for that particular disparity as well. Another interesting statistic is the healthcare assistants, which are obviously an, an, you know, a very valuable grade across the health services to um, you know, complement the, the team uh, to, a, you know, to a great degree. But ultimately, a healthcare assistant, they're obviously not a qualified nurse. A staff nurse must get to the fifth point of their own salary scale before they will exceed the maximum point of the healthcare assistant salary scale. And nurses from the day they appear on the ward, are actually supervising those grades. Pascal Donoghue, the Finance Minister, has warned that this, you're proposing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're looking for a 12% rise across the board? No, the, the 12, a 12% rise is a statistic that has been produced by Deeper. And we are looking for parity. But the 12% is not a, a position that, that we have laid out. We have not tabled a claim for 12% across the board. That, that claim simply has not been, um, that has not been tabled by, by so the it, INMO. So it's, 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 parity, it's parity. But parity, yes. But it is 12%. We have, we have reiterated, um, you know, in the limited meetings that we have had with management since the, uh, you know, since the rejection of the proposals and so forth, we have reiterated we are prepared to be creative in terms of how parity can be achieved. Oh, but the, the implication has been released 12%. I think that there's been the price tag of that, 300 million. I think at one point it went up to 420 million. The purposes of putting those statistics out there are actually, we believe, are designed to make us look unreasonable, to make us look like we wish to take resources, health services, and direct them towards ourselves. And the absolute opposite is the case. Um, we are we are looking for parity because we believe it um, it is essential to address the recruitment and retention crisis. But it's twelve percent uh, again. That is a deeper figure. But is there a problem for the government that if they if they give in to your wishes now, that they then across the frontline services will be facing similar demands? No, uh, we don't accept that. I have heard that. Obviously, that 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 particular theory has been mooted in certain quarters. But we don't accept that. Uh, we believe that Clause 3 of the Public Services Pay Agreement um, specifically caters for sets of circumstances where unique 
difficulties with recruitment and retention requiring creative solutions can be dealt with within Clause 3 without compromising the overall integrity of the, of the agreement. We believe the case for nursing is unique, it's compelling, and it can be catered for within Clause 3 of the Public Service Pay Agreement. So we don't accept that argument. Can this strike be averted? We believe that it can, um, and obviously it would be our preference if it was. Again, I, I reiterate it, uh, nurses do not wish to be going down this road. The priority of nurses is to care for their patient in a, patients in a safe environment, uh, but where, and where they are adequately remunerated. Um, and it, you know, it's self-evident that one follows the other. Uh, but we believe it can be averted if uh, the government starts to take serious account of what we're saying here and start taking serious measures to address address the recruitment and So, so what do the government have to do to, to appease patients who are worried that after Christmas there is going to be a strike? Well, I believe what the government's time would be productively engaged in is sitting down with the INMO and engaging in a robust and comprehensive set of discussions that can seriously address the recruitment and retention issues. Then are, are, are there any plans for talks at this moment in time, David? At this point in time, there are not. Um, there is a date mooted for a meeting with what's called the Public Services Pay Agreement Oversight Body. Um, but again, that is um, a date has of yet to be confirmed for that. But in terms of negotiations on the matter, no, there isn't anything. So there, there, has been, there has been no reaction from the government as yet to your members' decision yesterday to vote in favour of strike action? Well, a spokesperson, a spokesperson for um, the Minister for Health has, has recommended that, um, you know, that engagement take place and that all parties make an effort to avert strike action. So that has been the reaction to date. The announcement was made. Um, the announcement was made only there um, there yesterday. So, you know, we've nothing has taken place now over the two days, obviously over the day or so or whatever it is. But, but there but, is uh, there is time. But no, no, absolutely, there is time. Uh, but, but that time must be used productively, and it must efforts must go in to actually taking serious efforts to solve the crisis that's before us and not spending time engaging in public relations exercises and seeking to put out statistics and facts and figures that that deny or, you know, downgrade or airbrush out the existence of this crisis. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of the engagement to date is predicated upon that. I mean, at one point, it, it is being suggested um, that, for example, at one point, that there is no shortage. It, it, you know, the the existence of um, a shortage acro- across the nursing profession is denied you know, by, you know, management, and it's simply not the case. They must know that's not the case. Um, so we believe that a lot of the effort to date has been on putting particular slant on things and putting a particular inflection on things that deny the existence of this crisis, but so, it is not going to go away. So more talk and less spin. Finally, David, your message to, to the public this morning, what, what would you say to them? My message to the public, I suppose, is, is that, again, and I've said it, Cahill, we don't want to go down this road. It is not a decision that was taken lightly. The nursing profession are, you know, engaged in caring for their patients, and that is what they want to be doing. But that said, there comes a point in time where a situation gets to such a stage that there is, there is no other option and we are there. So 
we are at that place now. Um, part of the huge part of the role of the nurse is to advocate on behalf of their patients. And we must advocate on behalf of the health service and ensure that it's adequately resourced. So our message is we do not wish to inconvenience people. We do not wish the purpose of any such dispute is not to get at or inconvenience patients. We will continue to provide emergency cover, uh, but unfortunately we have no other option. And only are, I suppose, with this decision much governed and guided by the desire to correct, you know, a, a completely unjustifiable gap in pay, but it's also designed to put pressure on the government to take serious steps to introduce an adequately resourced well, health service from a nursing staffing perspective. Um, so this is in the interest, ultimately, and long-term is in the interests of patients. Um, but again, I would reiterate that this is not something that nurses wish to be doing, but there isn't any other option at this point they, in time. But it can be averted, but the ball now is in the government's court. David Miskell, Industrial Relations Officer with the INMO. We thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this break. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. 086 1800 658 is our text number. 086 1800 658. And a little later in the programme, we will be looking at the discovery of an ice bomb box in Navan, which was destined for Drogheda. And we'll also be getting a reaction to the meeting on drug issues in Dulik last night. But now we're going to look at the rental market in the housing sector and we're going to talk to Minister Damien English, Minister of State at the Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government. Good morning to you, Minister. Morning, Carl. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and a happy Christmas to you. Um, and you too. I heard you had the mince pies this morning. Seamus uh, uh, and Christy got all the mince pies, I'm afraid, <laughs> Minister. There's very few left by the time we got downstairs. Christy might go and have a, Chris might have a look for us now in a few minutes. The latest report from the RTB Rent Index says that rent is more expensive in Ireland than ever before, but the rate of increase is slowing down. For some people, is this good news? Look, it's a, it's, it's a trend that is beginning to ease off. I think the report absolutely says it, and we all say it, rents are too high in uh, most parts of the country. And, uh, you know, it's been very difficult for people trying to survive and pay those rents, as well as pay all the other bills. So it is, it is important that we continue with our efforts to bring it down. The legislation for the rent pressure zones is kicking in and has reduced the rate of increase so the trend has shown that it's still increasing the rent across the country, but at a, at a slower pace. Now, it's not good news in terms of it's still increasing, but at least when you see the trend going at a slower pace, it's, it's, a, it's, it's in the right direction in terms of easing off. But we need to continue increasing the supply to bring that prices, you know, to, make, to bring those prices back down. Um, right. what, the, what, what the report does show, and it, again, the RTB index looks at existing uh, tenancies and actual tenancies, whereas the other reports look at uh, asking rent. So this is, you know, this is reliable data. It's very important. It's data we use to set policies. And on foot of this data, and, and, and on foot of commitments the Minister have made a few months back, we are bringing in a new legislation through the door at the moment to, again, to, to enforce the existing rules uh, more in, in, in a stronger way, but also to try to bring more protections to existing tenants and to give um, more rights and to extend the notice periods in relation to how long they, how long they have uh, notification periods as well. So I think there's, there's more improvements coming through here, but we need this because what we want to try to have is a professional uh, rental market with professional landlords. Uh, the majority of landlords in, in Ireland are not from a professional business background, 
they're accidental landlords or there are people that have an additional property for pension purpose or something like that. They're not what we would call a professional uh, landlord market. And we have a lot of debates around this, a lot of debates in the Dáil, and people often cite to me what's happening in Germany and the Netherlands and other countries. But they have a rental market that was developed for 30 or 40 years. We don't have that. We want to have that. And that's what our plans are. And that's what we're trying to achieve. Are we going to end up in a situation, therefore, where Ireland becomes a nation of renters rather than homeowners? No, the, the data doesn't show that, Carl. It does show that there has been an increase of people who are renting uh, for different reasons. One, uh, people's, the nature of people's work and jobs has changed and very often you have short-term contracts or people are in different professions as opposed to kind of a, a one job for life, so they move around a lot more. So that category of people like to rent and want to rent. Uh, then you have another category of people who are waiting for, to save for their new house uh, or they can't afford their new house or they can't find the new house they want due to the supply, so they're renting temporarily. And then you have people who will be renting in the social market as well. But there is an increase of those renting, but it's not, it's not, cha- it's not changing forever in Ireland. But there, you know, there, is a, there is a nod to people who want to rent, and that's why it's important that we do develop the rental sector for them. But it won't be the answer for everybody. The majority of people still aspire to own their own house. And certainly as a, as a political party, my party, Fine Gael, and as a government, we want to uh, help people with their aspiration to own their own house. And the best way we can achieve that for everybody and to give people that choice or that option uh, to buy their own house or build their own house is by increasing the supply of housing. But and by doing that, it also helps the rental market because we do know seven or eight years ago when there was an oversupply of housing, rents were probably half the price. So there is, without a doubt, a link with supply of just, houses. Just, just to give you some of the figures, Minister, the Dublin average rent at the moment is €1,620 Euros per month, which is up €141 Euros on this time last year. The national average is €1,122 per month, and that was 1044 last year. The Inishon Peninsula, it's €470 Euros is the average rent in the north of Donegal, if you fancy living up there. But for young people who are trying to get into the housing market, who are trying to get a deposit together with the new rules under mortgages, etc., €1,620 per month in rent is an awful lot of money. Absolutely, Carl. And there's nobody saying it's not. It is far too high. And as I said at the start of the program, it's very hard to pay that rent and try and save and try and manage your family and manage all your financial dealings as well. So it is extremely high. So everything we do has to be to bring that back down. And I do believe with, with the new supply of housing now kicking in, um, it will uh, bring those rents back down and also gives people the option to go and buy a house because in many cases it would be more affordable to have a mortgage if they could find a house that suits them. But I think you have to look at, at what we're doing around supply and, you know, if you roll back when we started rebuilding Ireland, our action plan for housing two years ago, there was less than 5,000 houses being built a year in this country. This year, we know from CSO figures, independent of government, there'll be over 20,000 houses built in 2018. We know next year, based on plan missions that are granted and commencement notices and sites that have started, next year this country will build 25,000 houses. And that increase of supply does two things. It will help uh, ease the rental market but it'll also give people the option to buy a house. And we know that a lot of first-time buyers now are, in the last two years have bought houses because over 16,000 people have, have applied and sought and, uh, and got the Help to Buy scheme, uh, which helps them buy a new house. Uh, I know that as a traveller around the country to building sites every day of the week, uh, from, a, from a local authority point of view, we've over 1,000 sites now bringing forward 16,000 houses for social houses point of view. And again, every social house we build frees up the market for somebody else as well. So the supply is, is beginning to come in here now. It's taken But, but the, number of land, the number of landlords is falling. The number of landlords has fallen over the last three years by about 2,000 uh, landlords, but about 8,000 tenancies. And we want to increase the number of landlords as well. But again... And this is the problem, Carl. When we bring in legislation to try to make it better for the tenants, 
and try to restrict the rent increases and all the other changes, that does affect uh, investors as well. And we're often under pressure to do more to protect tenants and to reduce rents. And we do as much as we possibly can as a government. But if we overdo that, you will scare off any investment and there'll be no landlord. So we have to increase the supply of housing, which is people's own ownership and new houses. But also we're trying to increase more investment into the rental sector as well because going forward there are a percentage of people in Ireland who will want to rent and will always want to rent due to the nature of their job and their business and so on and that's fine but we want to cater for that. This country does not have a history really of catering for, for, for um, a rental market. Uh, it hasn't been, you know, we, so we are, we're trying to balance the two, ownership and renting as well. Isn't the paradox, of course, that if you provide more social housing, which is your intention, that then you become less reliant on the private rental sector? Yeah, exactly. And, and you made a good point there, Carl. You know, there, there's, there's two issues. We, social housing in this country, there was very little built for about seven or eight years. We were very clear when we came into government uh, two years ago, from the start of this government, when we then had the, the trika were gone and we had control of our own public finances and there was money again in this country, thanks to all the employment, that we were going to invest again in social housing. So we set out a plan to deliver 50,000 uh, social houses uh, over the next five years. We're two years into that plan now, uh, and we know that we've delivered over 16,000 of those 50,000 new social houses. That's 8,000 this year alone. But is, we, is, we, we is it enough? Figures. No, it's, it's not enough because we want to get to the 50,000, and we want to go beyond that. But we can't build 50,000 in one year. It's just not possible. It's not, it's not, it can't be done. But what we could do is put a plan in place to make sure that we build the 50,000 over five years. And next year, we reach the magic number of 10,000 social houses. Now, everybody I meet who's involved in housing, involved in the sector, who's campaigning or who's marching on the streets, are asking us as a government to deliver 10,000 new social houses a year. We are at that target next year. And the money is committed, taxpayers' money is committed to go beyond that 10,000 every year for the next number of years. So, so we increase. So you're confident we will see 10,000 social houses built next year? I absolutely am confident because the target for this year was, uh, was just 7,900. And actually, as we were just doing the counts yesterday in our department, we're over, we'll be over 8,000. Next year, our plan and our target is 10,000. And we'll go beyond that because part of my job every day of the week, along with Minister O'Murphy, is to work with local authorities, is to go around the, the, the country visiting all the sites. And again, I was in Cork yesterday looking at new sites, looking at sites being opened up, new, new houses being handed over. I'm in Cork again on Friday. Uh, even in Mead here, I think Mead would be one of the highest uh, local authorities to deliver their percentage of housing that have gone beyond their targets. Uh, Lauer are doing well too. So every local authority now has got their teams in place and are now back in the business of building houses and acquiring houses and dealing with vacant houses. So you will see a massive increase in supply. And all that increase in supply will change uh, the amount of rent people have to pay, but also give people the option to buy a house or I, to avail of a social house too. Can I just ask you finally, Minister, there's a story in this week's Meet Chronicle and Casey's story, one million euros it will cost Meet County Council to house Meet's homeless this year, and that, that's the first time that figure has gone over one million euros. Your reaction to that? Okay, well, to be very clear about this, uh, while we increase the supply of housing, and because for 10 years there was no houses built in this country due to the crash, which now has, has changed, thanks God, thanks be God, the supply is increasing. But while you're increasing supply, there is a backlog and there's still a number of people in this country who do not have a house and who are living in a hotel or a B&B or a family hub. Me County Council are doing great work to try to step in as quick as they can to find the person a temporary house or a rented house. But in some cases, they have to use emergency accommodation, which is a B&B or, or, or a family hub. So there has been an increase of money and we've increased the budget again. Like for, there's about 130 million of taxpayers' money being spent 
this year and the same again next year with a little bit more on services for those who are homeless. And that includes spending the like of 14 million through the McVeary Trust, 10 million with the Simon Community, and a million through meet the local authority and probably a little bit more as well. So the local authorities working with the NGOs to, to give somebody who hasn't got a house uh, temporary accommodation and in the short term until we find them a house. Now when you analyse the situation in Mead or even Loud, when people go into emergency accommodation, it's generally only for a couple of months and then we find them a new house uh, or, or a rented house. And that's, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to try to minimise the time somebody spends in the homeless services. So do you think this could be, this could be a high of 1.1 million if, that, if that's what it becomes, but this figure will, will decrease because you will provide housing? I, I've no doubt it will decrease because the housing supply is increasing. And again, Mee County Council, I think, will be about 15% ahead of their own target to deliver houses. And if you look at what Mee County Council have achieved last year and this year, using the money from my, my department and taxpayers' money, they've delivered over 1,000 houses to people uh, last year and this year. Um, in both cases, three or 400 of them are permanent new houses, and in other cases, they're houses that are rented through the, the HAP scheme and so on. But over 1,000 people both years have been helped into a home, and they'll do the same again next year. So some of those people who, unfortunately today, and in Mead's case compared to Dublin, it's very low, but in some cases there are people today who don't have a house. But Mead County Council are finding them houses. Um, but there's often a little bit of a time lag between someone going homeless and the council finding a house. But I'm very confident that that spend on homelessness will be going down from next year onwards because the supply of housing, thankfully, finally, is up. Uh, and also, what's been built across the country now, uh, next year, we will see an increase of 25,000 houses. Now, compare that to less than 5,000. It's a massive increase. And that will be the answer to all our prayers because increased houses, new houses, empty, vacant houses coming back into the system, that gives us houses for people who, who badly need them as well. And thankfully, we're beginning to make progress. I'm not saying, Carl, for one minute, or either Zoe Murphy or Leo Varka, that it's enough to solve the problem this week or next week. It's not. But it's the right trend, it's the right progress we need to find people a new home. And again, this year, because it's important to know this, there are about 1,300 families this week in this country who don't have a house. Uh, but that's about 5,000 adults and about 4,000 children. Well, Next year, over 5,000 adults and all their children will be taken out of homelessness and will, will, will find a home. Minister. Because that's what we've achieved this year. So I've no doubt Thank that we're, we're beginning to move through this, and rightly so, because Thank this is what the people expect the government to do, is to find solutions. Minister. Naturally, we'd all like to find it straight away yes. and have everybody home today. It, 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 with all the best will in the world, we just can't do it in one year. But we are, we're, we're making the right progress now, and next year, uh, I think we will again see... Uh, thousands of families finding a new home. And well, Minister, Minister Damien English, Minister of State of the Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government, we thank you for your time. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. After the news at 10, we will be getting reaction to the meeting on drug issues in Duleague last night. But I'm delighted to say Marie Cairns joins me in studio now for a look at the local newspapers. And very apt that in the Drogheda Independent, Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan Marie has called for unity in the fight against the drug feud. That's right, um, Cahill. He was speaking at uh, the Joint Policing Committee and the headline of the Drogheda Independent is Our kids will ask, why did you fail us? In an impassioned 50-minute address to members of the committee, the Chief Superintendent laid it on the line to political figures, according to the Drogheda Independent and to county officials, revealing that children as young as 12 are carrying out evil deeds, as he described it, for drug dealers and further revealed that an improvised car bomb found in Ashfield housing estate in Drogheda 
could have killed or injured people within a 50 mile radius. And we'll have more later in the programme about the ice bomb, ice box bomb that was found in Drogheda en route to Drogheda. Uh, Navin, route that's to right, in the early hours of Monday morning. Uh, but in this article, the chief is urging everyone to stick together and to tackle the problem in the town. I can't let the week go by without mentioning the other story on the front page of the Drogheda Independent. And it's a lovely piece on LMFM's very own Dermot Fingus, who, of course, passed away um, during the week and the Drogheda Independent is focusing on the tributes that were paid to him across the world of Irish country music and beyond. And it is a lovely tribute. It is indeed. GEA in the Dundalk Democrat. Well, it's in all the Dundalk papers this week and, of course, the reason why is because the Loud County Council finally uh, made the decision to sell uh, land in Dundalk for the new county grounds. And the Dundalk Democrat, first of all, are saying it's a major step for local GAA. Donard McCabe is reporting that the council voted overwhelmingly on Monday to approve the disposal of the land at the Inner Relief Road in Dundalk. Inside the paper, Tia Clark is reporting on a Dundalk mum facing a harrowing Christmas after her partner and father of five, five of her children was deported earlier this month. Amanda Crow has set up an online petition on change.org to appeal to the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, to let her husband, Mark Morris, return home from South Africa. She told the paper, myself and the children are distraught to the Argus then and their their headline is also focusing on the sale of the land and they've uh, a quote from Councillor Peel Smith who was the only councillor in to vote against the sale and he told the meeting that he felt all the avenues had not been closed off in developing it in Drogheda and of course the county grounds has been in Drogheda. Deputy Peter Fitzpatrick who was part of the six man delegation spearheading the plans told the Argus it's a fantastic day for Dundalk and for GAA in Loud, it's great to see the GAA coming back. This was the town of the GAA. I'm sure people in Drogheda have something <laughs> to say about that. <laughs> and staying with the same story that the dog leader have, Loud, the football is coming, coming home. home. So I don't know how that's going to go down too well either. Uh, but inside the Dundalk leader, uh, the Chamber of Commerce is having a pop at councillors over the recently passed Loud County Council budget, stating that it sends out the wrong message with regards to helping local business. In a statement, the Chamber is saying we would hope that the rates refund, business incentive and shop front schemes would be reinstated to abolish the latter two at a time when there is going to be major expenditure on Clonbrazel Street makes no sense. The Chamber is currently promoting the area to Northern Ireland and British businesses who need to relocate part of their business to the Republic and this is sending out the wrong message. Of course Brexit at the heart of that as well. Yes, absolutely. Now, the Me Chronicle. Yes, to your own county, Cahill. And this this is a story that's relevant to Drogheda as well, of course. Yes, it is indeed, because this is the story that's been reported on our news here during the week about that explosive device that was found in the van and Navin in the early hours of Monday morning with a paper reporting how frightened residents of Navin's Bruise Hill and Boring Keel had to evacuate their homes. According to the paper, the improvised device is believed to have been capable of causing significant damage or injury and it's been linked to the gangland 
feud in Drogheda. So there you go. And we'll be talking out. to Deputy Fergus O'Dowd on that subject a little later in the programme. That's right. But interesting story that caught my eye inside the Mead Chronicle by Anne Casey about Pierce Brosnan rowing in behind the campaign to stop the removal of the wall and 22 trees near the 15th century alumni castle. So there you go. Mr Bond himself. Oh, oh, seven to the rescue. <laughs> shaken, shaken, not stirred. That's, that's only Pierce. That's not the trees. So there are all the stories. Plenty of reading in all the local newspapers today. It's, it's our final local newspaper review of the year. So a, a big happy Christmas to all the journalists who work so hard. As you and I both know, we both were there in the past. Yes, it's it's it's, it's certainly a challenging times and fair play they're delivering every week as our own news team do Absolutely. too. Can I go to a couple of comments Please at the time? Uh, because I know you're speaking to me earlier than usual but we've had already had a couple of responses in in relation to I suppose this threat of strike action mm. now that that ballot By the nurses. vote yes has come in we don't know exactly what form of action they're going to take but Tom from Drogheda says that I don't know how nurses do their jobs there's just not enough staff anybody who has ever been in a hospital in recent years can see that and he understands the reason for doing what they're doing um, Ray from Drogheda says that she sympathises with the nurses in deciding to take this action but she wants to know where is that going to leave patients if they do go on strike that it really would create a terrible environment and she wonders would the nurses lose support she feels that the government needs to step in now and respond to the concerns the last thing the country needs are our nurses going on strike Joanne says that her dad was in Our Lady of Lords Hospital recently and she was practically there herself 24-7 as her mother needed assistance with eating and going to the toilet. And the nurses, she says, just didn't have the time. They were just overworked. They're, over, they're overrun. Luckily, she was in a position, she says, to be there that she, you know, she could be available to her mother. Not everybody's in the same situation because so many people work. But, oh no, her dad, it was, sorry, her dad. But feel sorry for those who don't have anybody to help them. And she says she feels that there's just not enough nurses on the wards. And they do do their best because I have a family member myself in hospital at the moment, in Our Lady of Lords Hospital, and I have to say... He's so well looked after and you just couldn't fault the, the staff because they, they go beyond the call of duty uh, to do their best by the patients. But echoing what the listeners are saying here, you know, there just doesn't seem to be enough staff. Uh, so that's a flavour of some of them so far, Carl, and hopefully I'll get in later on. And as I said, we will be discussing the bomb discovery in Navan that was bound for Drogheda a little later in the programme. And after the news at 10, we will be looking at the meeting in Dulik last night. That's right, and we'll also be talking soccer later on. We'll have a little bit about Jose Mourinho, who's um, only 20 million richer after losing his job yesterday. God help the poor man. We'll be back with the news headlines after these. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. And you're very welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun, sitting in for the rest of the week for Michael. A packed courthouse in Dulik last night, packed to capacity and beyond, where the public gathered to discuss proposals to make Dulik a drug-free town. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line now by Councillor Sharon Keoghan, who's an independent councillor in Meath County Council, and by Councillor Stephen McKee, Fianna Fáil councillor on the same Meath County Council. Good morning to you both. Good morning to you. Uh-huh. Sharon, can I start with you, please? This meeting was jammed to capacity and beyond, which is a fair indication of the level of interest that people have in this subject and their determination to make Dulig drug-free. Well, I suppose like many, many towns and, and cities and, and villages throughout the country, we're no different um, than what's facing Drogheda at this moment in time. 
um, with the gang wars that are going on uh, there. Obviously, it hasn't reached to that level yet, um, and we don't want it to reach to that level yet. Um, So we are taking uh, the bull by the horns. We are talking about our mental health. We're talking about drug use and drug abuse and substance abuse, and we're trying to deal with it with the youth. It was the youth that came to me, and they asked, say, Sharon, please help us. We need to do something about this. It's getting out of hand. And and why was that, Um, Sharon, do you think? Well, look, there's been a number of incidents um, uh, in the area, and... uh, you know, the, we we all we all can see the use of drugs and the overuse of drugs in, in our town. And um, I suppose you can hide behind it, or you can face the problem head on. And that's what we have decided to do. We're there. We're going to face this problem and face it head on and try and get solutions to that problem. Um, and last night was evident that the, number one, the problem exists. That. The youth are looking for better mental health services and they're looking for support and help in relation to the drug use and the, the drug use in, in our area. And Councillor Stephen McKay, Fianna Fáil Councillor, can I ask you for your reaction, first of all, to the turnout last night? Yeah, Carl, um, good morning and good morning to your listeners. There was a huge turnout. Um, I mean, the first thing I'd like to say is that, um, as someone living in the area, that Dalik is an absolutely fantastic place to live. You know, it, it, we have a great community in Dalik. Um, there's a lot going on in the village. We have a new uh, Dalik Valley Sound District community facility that's been started that's going to cater for over 60, 70 local groups. Um, we have uh, local sports clubs like the soccer club, Gaelic club, boxing club, and then other groups like Freuge and Scouts doing great work in the area. So what I would like to stress is that, that it is a great place. We have a great community and there's a lot of good things going on in the community. Um, obviously, there are... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Our issues there, no different than any other community in the country. Um, and we welcome the support last night from, um, you know, obviously the the, the, the Shikana, HSE, and a representative from SOSAD who was there also to speak about mental health issues. Um, but, but, clear, but clearly, as Councillor Keoghan has said, there is a worry in the community that a drug problem could t- take effect. 
Absolutely. Um, and as I said, and as, as Ken Sirkjogen has, has, has alluded as well, it's no different than any other community. Um, we do have uh, issues no different than any other community. And I think um, there's some very practical uh, measures uh, or issues that came from last night's meeting that come, we need to be working on. I'm working with my colleague Thomas Byrne in terms of, uh, Thomas Martini, in terms of the, the garden numbers in the area. And that was something that we addressed to Superintendent um, Fergus Dwyer last night about the need for more garden resources in the area. The local garden are doing a great job in the league, but we do, we do need to see more garden on the street. We need pro- more proactive policing, which has been taking place recently in terms of drug seizures overall in the county. Uh, there are more Gardaí uh, going to be signed to meet in January. With the greatest respect, Stephen, please take politics out of this. I don't want to hear anything about politics. None of, none of those political people that you mentioned have done anything for our town in relation to addressing these issues that our, our people face. This will be a homegrown solution to the problem that we have, are facing. And that's exactly what, what, what that meeting was about last night. We cannot rely on the government to solve our problems because they have not solved our problems to date. You can see the mess that that other towns are in uh, with re- in relation to gang wars. We do not want that. So we have to face it head on. We have to face those problems that we have. Fantastic last night in relation to the superintendent, uh, superintendent wire last night. To come out of that last night, many of our young people, many would be, uh, would be intimidated because of the drug dealers. Uh, and they would face intimidation, and their families would say it's face intimidation can, because can, of money. Can, can you explain, Councillor Keoghan, can I ask you about, yeah. the, the, in, in the Mid Chronicle this week, you talk about, you know, parents being intimidated by dealers over, over drug Absolutely. debts, kids yes. being intimidated. And so there is, there is, there have been instances of this nature in Dulik. Ab- absolutely, there have been instances, and where, where, where parents would have had to bail out, bail out their, their teenagers and young, uh, young adult youths, um, and, and that would have happened where a house would have been would have been a, a target and a, and a car would have been burned out. These, these things have happened. They have happened in our area. We in, do in, the, not in want the recent them. past. In in the recent past, and we don't want them to continue. And they're still they're still they're still coming out, and they're still intimidating uh, intimidating, intimidating these families. So the the good thing that came out of the meeting last night, which was really really important, it was a commitment from the superintendent Dwyer that he would put in place. Um, a liaison guard to, to liaise with these families that are under pressure and that are being int- intimidated and to give them support, the support that they need so that they can feel safe. And that's all, that's all I want. I want, my, I want the youth, I want the people of the town to feel safe, that they're not going to be intimidated by these bullies and they're not going to get away with them. And, and you must remember too, and you must remember as well, we have the state-of-the-art CCTV system in the country. So they're, they're easily identifiable. And I think, and I think, Absolutely. It, and I think, if you come into Jalique, no matter what road you come in or out of Jalique, you will be seen. You and I think, Carl, that is very impo- that's a very important point about the CCTV. And it's also important about the, the, the commitment made last night by Superintendent Healy in terms of yeah. um, a liaison officer. And, that, and we do need more data numbers. And the other point I was going to make is that yeah. we also need to see locally on the ground are the community groups, community, whether it's the sports clubs, Working close together. I mean, is is, is there is there enough, Councillor McKee? Is there enough being done to stop young people turning to drugs? I mean, why why are they turning to well, drugs? Well, we need to ensure we need to ensure we're offering young people alternatives. Essentially, I mean, look. So and and what, was that the is that the message that's coming from them? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We absolutely. need to ensure greater. And, 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 and as I've said, Carl, there are lots of. 
great work. There's lots of great work being done in the area. There's lots of great sporting groups and local Absolutely. community groups in the area. But, but, but what we need to see more of, I mean, we, we have a programme there. Clearly not enough. We, clearly no, no, not enough. We, we have a programme there. The league, uh, I'll yeah. just give an example. The League Valley Centre has a health, health and wellbeing programme now. Now, yeah. St. Column Kills Gaelic Club were the first in the area to really but, but it is successfully. But we need, to, we need to see more of that amongst the local groups in the area, local sports clubs in the area, to ensure that they're offering our young people alternatives to hanging around streets, corners and so on. Councillor so Keoghan, how, how do you have responsibility? How do you get the dealers out of town? We change our environment completely. We change our, our, our thinking towards drug completely. We change our youth and how they see drugs. Uh, we, we, we have to change the entire environment. That's the only way we're going to get our town drug free. And like there was about, I'd say about 300 people at that meeting there last night and they were asked to put their names down to, to formulate a policy and to introduce measures, educational, uh, educational prevention, intervention measures that will drive this project forward. And I'd say 50% of the people in that room put their name forward to come on board this task force. And the majority of them were youth. The majority of them people were between the ages of 17 to 25. I mean, last night, we heard from a young man last night telling us about his issues, openly and courageously telling us about his issues. And doing that in front of 300 people must have been so scary, scary for him last night. But he knows he wants to help the future generations coming forward. He does not want the life he had. Luckily, he had the family support and the friend support to get him out of it. But he went through some very, very, very dark days. I don't want any of our children to face that. And if I can save one person, two people, whatever it is I need to do for the children of this village and the future generations of this village, it has to be done. And that includes putting a full-time counsellor, mental health counsellor in our village, accessible to anybody who wants to walk in, a day service there. And this will be done. I am determined to, to put a full-time councillor into our village and to put that councillor in place very, very soon. And can you get funding and for then, that? What? Can you get funding for that? For, look, we will never have to worry about funding. We are blessed in our community because we have community funds coming in on top of us. We have the Endeavour Fund that brings in 320000 a year into Jalit. We have the Irish Cement Fund that has the potential to bring 480000 a year. So we, because we're living in that, in that uh, district and that area... There is high, uh, obviously there is business in our area and there's community funds set up as, 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 a, as, a, as part of their planning. So getting funds to, to support the, 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 the crisis, uh, crisis that we are facing at this moment in time and to try and solve those problems, we will have to do them on the ground. I'm not going to be relying on any government to do this because they have let down these people so far. This has to be homegrown solution to the problem that we have and I am determined, along with the people of Dalik, because it's the people of Tulik that can drive this. Sharon Kogan will only push a little bit, but the rest of the people of Tulik are going to make sure that any child or young people that are growing up will grow up in a safe, drug-free environment as much as possible, that it is not acceptable in our sports, that there's random drug testing in, 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 in clubs. And everybody is on board here. There's not, I, there's not one single club that's not going to get on board. Can so I ask we you... Are trying to can I ask, promote a better environment. Thank you, Sharon. Can I ask you, Councillor Stephen McKee, are people scared by what they see in Drogheda? Absolutely. I, I think anyone would be. You know, it, it, it's, it is scary what's going on in Drogheda, and certainly we don't want uh, a situation like that um, developing in our own community. 
I, I, it I, is only down the road. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it is only down the road. It's a, lo- it's a local town. Drogheda is our local town. Um, mm. And we don't want to see anything like anywhere near that in, a, in, in, in the community of the league. I would say that um, what is very important is that, that counselling services and so on are made available for young people. I think it's a broader issue as well. I mean, there was other issues brought up last night just in terms of, you know, loneliness, social isolation as well that are affecting older people as well. And I think all these issues, mental health issues, it's not just affecting young people. Obviously, there, there is a need there for uh, specifically related to the drug problem for young people, but there is a need for those uh, in their 40s, 50s um, uh, who are suffering in isolation um, to, 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 to access services. So we need to work uh, all together to, to, to ensure that there are services available, community services available in the league. And everyone has a role to play in this, whether it's the local sporting groups or the organisations, um, ourselves as local public representatives to ensure that we have a village that, 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 that's safe for everyone. As I said, and I'd like to stress that it is a fantastic community and I'm, 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 I'm really stressing that, that there is so much work on it. Absolutely. Work. It's a fantastic I mean, community. And, just, and, and, and I know yeah. Sharon would agree with that. Um, oh, absolutely. No matter what happens. We all want to work together. Yeah, to, um, absolutely. People are very, very, people are very, very good. In well, just, no matter just, what happens, if, if, there's a, if there's a child that is sick in our area that needs support, this community is, there's no better community in Ireland for rallying up yeah, when, things, when just, things hit rock bottom for somebody. Yeah. And I've no doubt the people of Chile will come out to try and solve this problem. So I just want to thank, there's a few people I want to thank in relation to last night. The North East Regional uh, Drugs and Task Force, Lisa came out to speak, Marie Johnson from Sosad in, in Navan, and our local uh, superintendent, Fergus Dwyer, Denise Paul, Brian Dolan, and Inspector Power were there last night to and, support us in this. And, this is a multi-agency. What's, what's the next uh, step, Councillor Kelvin? The next step, I would please God be having a, a meeting in early January uh, with the task force um, and trying to basically set a policy in place um, in relation to how we're going to, to achieve this drug-free time, what we're going to do and the services we're going to provide, getting in the mo- motivational speakers. Uh, I've already spoke to um, Senator Frances Black. She said she's agreed to come down and do, do a motivational spe- uh, speech. Kenny Egan, the Olympic boxer, he's already uh, planned to come down. And I believe somebody else has been on to Philly McMahon, the Dublin player, yes. to come down. So uh-huh. we, will, we, will give, we will put whatever, whatever we need to do to make sure that our youth get the message that drugs is not cool. And, and we want to also make the, 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 the dealers, if there are dealers listening out there this morning from Dundalk or Drogheda or wherever, to leak wherever they're coming from, you will be caught. Well, it's only a matter of time. You will be caught. And if you value what you have in your pocket now, do not come into Jaleek. Well, do okay, not sir. come into Jaleek because, as you know, there's only one way to hit, hit, hit a dealer and that's to take whatever he has out of his pocket. And there's agencies there that do it. You have the Criminal Assets Bureau that do it. You have, you have the, re- the revenue there that, that, that will uh, walk in and, and, and sort out these dealers. Councillor, we have to go, unfortunately. Thank you so fine, much. No problem at all. Thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Councillor Sharon Keoghan, Independent Councillor, and Councillor Stephen McKee, Fianna Fáil Councillor, in relation to the meeting on drug issues in Dulaik last night. We'll be back looking at the Drada developments after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. We're with you until 11 o'clock. 086 1800 658, as always, is our text number. And we're also available across Twitter, WhatsApp, Facebook, and probably even Instagram in this modern world. 
As you will have heard on the news headlines at 10 o'clock, two men have been charged in connection with the discovery of a viable explosive device in Navin in the early hours of Monday morning. It has since emerged that the suspected explosive device, an ice bag bomb, as reported in the Irish Independent by Tom Brady, was bound for Drogheda as part of the ongoing criminal feud that is in the town and that has shaken so many residents in the town and has so many people worried. Before we came on air, I spoke to Fine Gael Deputy Fergus O'Dowd and asked him for his response to the latest development in this ongoing feud. It's extremely worrying, but I want to congratulate the Guardian on their success in stopping, obviously, this bomb, which was intended for our town. It is, it is entirely unacceptable. And the more we can catch people in possession of explosives or people who are breaking the law in this way, the better it is for our community. And these people need to be put away for, for, for a long time. And that's why I, in the door yesterday, I, I want more policemen in Drogheda on a permanent basis. And uh, I believe the Gardaí are doing a fantastic job. The extra 18 Gardaí that are in the town as a result of, of the recruits coming in is extremely welcome. But most of those are actually leaving after Christmas. And that is unacceptable to everybody in the town. And that's my job to make that case as strongly as I can to the Minister, which I did in the door yesterday. Now, we have to say that th- this was due to the diligence of two very young Gardaí in this instance, and that, you know, the, an icebox bomb, it was primed, it was wired, it was it was ready for activation. If that bomb had got to draw it, God knows what would have happened. God knows what would have happened. And again, it's the vigilance of the Gardaí, it's the alertness, the awareness, the training that they have that protects us all. And that is the situation we're in right now. Now, a number of significant arrests have already been made, as we know, in Drogheda by the Guardian. And it is by increasing vigilance, increasing patrolling, uh, is, where, is, is, is where you catch them. And obviously preventing a bomb from exploding is much better than catching the, 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 the perpetrators after the bomb has gone off. So, But uh, obviously the, the police are top class and deserve all our support, and they have all our support. But they must continue, they must continue to have the resources they need. And that's another this issue, Cahill, is who decides how many police should come to draw the, Is it the Garda Commissioner or is it the, the Minister? Now, yesterday in the Dáil, this was the debate I had with the Minister, and he assured me that I have his full support and the support of the government are fully behind the Garda having the resources uh, to put down uh, this very serious criminal element. Now, clearly, the number of Garda is a matter for the Chief Superintendent and the Garda Commissioner to decide. But what I want is I want all of the Garda that the Chief Police Officer in Dáil, the Chief Superintendent, wants that he has them, and he has them for as long as he needs them. And, and, and that, is, that, is so it, we, must have, we must have that. Is it worrying, Deputy, that some of them may be taken away from Drogheda after Christmas? It is very worrying, and the point is, as was explained to me, like you have, you have the armed support team from Drogheda, you have regional crime officers in Drogheda, but, but what happens is when they're in County Loud, Loud has to pay, it comes out of the guard budget in County Loud to pay for their, for, for their, for their time here. And that means that the Gardaí don't have the resources then to do the normal day's work that they want to do as well as all this additional work. Now, at the moment, uh, this year, the Gardaí ha- are investigating five murders, five murders in the last year in County Loud. It's a very high number. And obviously, they're putting the correct and proper resources into those investigations. But the problem is they don't get additional money for that to do their normal, normal policing. So I think it's 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 quite obvious now. 
I've asked the Garda Commissioner to come to Garda. I've written to him some time ago, and he did visit. He did visit the local Garda station. I'd like, in the appropriate setting, whether it's the policing committee or whatever, that he would meet with the people, particularly the people of Moneymore and other estates who who, who, who want to, and who, you know they, they they need to see him, and he needs to come to town. But like we, we need that reassurance, and indeed we have. They currently have the resources they need right now, but they may not have them after Christmas, and we have to ensure that they do. Have you have you had any response from Commissioner Drew Harris in relation to your, I have, your request? I have, had a, I, I have had. I've had an acknowledgement from him. And that's about two weeks ago. And since then, obviously, the Minister for Justice has come to town. And uh, I'm very pleased that the Minister gave me, I think, a very strong response to the door yesterday, that he is committed and the government are committed. He repeated that a number of times. And obviously, the outcome of that has to be that the resources that the Gardaí are requesting if the chief superintendent needs X, Y, or Z, he has to get it. And that's that's my point of view. And whatever has to move, whether it's a budget or whether it's, you know, we need to get those resources. Uh, we, we must, you know, and, and we, you know, the Gardaí are, are doing an extremely good job. And last night shows again just how effective they are, how good they are, how sharp they are, uh, how effective they are, how much they need our support. And if there is to be, you know, the, 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 the day of reckoning has to be in the court with these criminals and not, and, and not on the streets of Drogheda, really. That's, that's, that's what I want. Now, to switch attentions to the north of Ireland, uh, Deputy, you, you issued you should a press release earlier this week because Monday marked 700 days without a, a, a parliament in the north, without Stormont. You're very concerned about this and, and you have a very clear idea in your own head who's to blame. Well, Sinn Féin are to blame on the one side and obviously the DUP on the other side is that, that, that they have failed to get together. The biggest issue facing Ireland and England and indeed Europe is Brexit. And the biggest part of that, the biggest concern everybody has is, is over the north of Ireland and what might happen there in the event of a hard or indeed even a soft Brexit. So I think it's incumbent upon Sinn Féin to take their seats to, to take your seats in, in, in Parliament in the UK and also to, to, to enter into negotiations and get back into government in the North. They have the confidence of the majority of the nationalist population in the North. I would never support them personally, but they do have that confidence. And they, they do, I believe, you know, they, they have to take on board the fact that if they don't take their seats in the House of Commons, you know, that, that Brexit could, it could, you know, may very well be a very hard Brexit and their votes might be just the vote that is needed to make sure that that doesn't happen. But is, is there not a real danger, Deputy, that if Sinn Féin were to take seats in, in Westminster, that they were elected on the basis that they would not take those seats, that that would then fuel dissidence and we could see a situation where violence returns to the North? No, I don't think so. I mean, where, 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 if they don't want to take their seats, I think they should resign their seats and let somebody who will take them uh, and will sit in them and will speak for the nationalists uh, in the north. Let them let their voice be heard. There is no nationalist voice being heard in Westminster at this most crucial time. But though, most crucial Sinn Féin time. will argue that they were elected on the very basis that they would not be heard in Westminster. Well then, well then, you know, they take the money, they take the salaries, they take the offices, they take the expenses, but they don't take they don't take the votes with them, and they're the votes that are needed. I mean. The, if it made a difference between a hard Brexit um, and no Brexit at all, 
I mean, this is a huge opportunity for the nationalist voice to be heard. And it's very, very, the majority of people in the North, and that was done in the DUP stand, uh, they, 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 they're, they're anti-Brexit, right? So, so I mean, there's a clear mandate there. I know it's after the, the election these people were elected for, but I think it's an opportunity that they shouldn't miss. Have you, have you discussed once this? Once in a lifetime, once in a generation, both uh, uh, that we need. And, and the point is also true in the north of Ireland. That, you know, what's the point? What's the point in having an assembly if it never meets? What's the point in standing for election if it, if you don't talk to your opposition? But I'm sure, I'm sure Sinn Féin will argue with you, Deputy, that the intransigence on the DUP side is just as strong. Uh, well, they, they certainly, I have no doubt about it, that the DUP are indeed a very intransigent party, but, but they've gone to bed with them before. And that was Deputy Fergus O'Dell, Fine Gael TD for Loud, and we were discussing there Sinn Féin and the Northern Assembly, and of course the developments in Navan, where an active device was discovered by Gardaí bound for Drogheda. If you have a comment to make on that, please do text us on 086 1800 658. We will, of course, always welcome your texts and comments, and you can phone the station as well, but 086 1800 658 is our text number. We're going to be back with some festive drinking tips after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. And this is the Michael Reed Show. You're welcome back with me, Cahill Dervin, here until 11 o'clock. A little later in the programme, we will be discussing Manchester United, Josie Mourinho's departure and the news this morning that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has been confirmed as interim manager until the end of the season. And as always, as football throws these things up, he will start his campaign as Manchester United interim manager at Cardiff City, the club he helped get relegated from the Premier Division a couple of years ago. We'll be talking all of that very shortly. But this is indeed the season to eat, drink and be merry. But there are precautions that have to be taken into place with all of that. And I'm delighted to say that joining us on the line is Miriam Tabor, whose communications manager with Drink Aware. Drink Aware's latest research shows that drinking at home now accounts for 72% of all alcohol consumption in the Republic of Ireland. Good morning to you, Miriam. Good morning, Cahill. Thanks for having us. You're more than welcome. It is the season to eat, drink and be merry, but with some reservations. It is, absolutely. And, you know, at Drink Aware, we know that Christmas is a time for celebration and it's something that we all look forward to. But I suppose it presents more opportunities um, not only to celebrate than any other, but to drink alcohol. You know, um, most social occasions, whether it's um, going from house to house to neighbours and um, parties or whether it's out and about in town, there is, there are more opportunities more opportunities to drink alcohol. So I suppose our latest research found that three quarters of drinking occasions in Ireland now take place in the home. And I suppose why this is um, of concern to us is that um, your, many of your listeners will know that drinking at home can present its own issues because it's a less controlled environment um, than a pub where drinks are measured. Um, people tend to be more relaxed at home and it can just be more likely that and people will drink more alcohol than they intended. Um, so, for example, we see regularly people contact us saying how easy it is now that they find that they could be drinking at home two to three times during the week, never mind the weekend, um, you know, a bottle of wine or a couple of bottles of beer, and it just becomes a nightly routine. And this, this uh, is very much something that's developed over the last 10, 15 years, isn't it? It has, absolutely. It's something that we didn't see before that, really. Um, it wasn't really, um, Ireland was more about the pub culture and 
being out and about in town. So I suppose it is a bit different. And and, and I, I would suspect that the ad, advent of the smoking ban, the rising cost of alcohol, the crash, the, the depression, etc., and all those things that happened during the, the recession, that people people got used to the idea of drinking at home. I think you're right. I think it was a cumulative effect of a few different things. I think the recession definitely played a part where people just didn't have as much disposable income as before. So they weren't um, as likely to go out to the pub or to a restaurant. However, they might pick up a bottle of wine on the way home. But I suppose where we're coming from is that we see this as, um, you know, a really regular occurrence now. So even before the weekend hits, people could could be drinking almost nightly. And I suppose that's when people build up this routine and it becomes a habit. Um, an unintentional habit um, and but you know also our research finds that you know a lot of people are trying to drink less a lot of people acknowledge that they should put down in their drinking and per, you know we would assume that this is in no thanks and um, no small part thanks to the rising number of people who are drinking at home and what people are telling us that they're doing the kind of personal restrictions that they're setting are things like not keeping alcohol in the house you know that's one of the top um, moderation techniques used by people. So I think that's something, especially coming up to Christmas, where, as we say, there are more occasions to celebrate, particularly in the home. And also, we have a bit more free time over Christmas as well. So there is just that bit more time and, you know, of course, reasons to celebrate. But I suppose from Drinkware's point of view, we're trying to encourage people to, you know, we just have three simple steps that people could follow. And I think top of the list really has to be to never free pour um, spirits or wines will always use a measure you know it can if you free pour it can make it almost impossible to know just how much you or indeed your guests um, are drinking and we all know wine glasses now have really increased in size so you know one standard drink of wine is actually 100 mils of wine and some of your listeners might laugh at that but it's you know the size of wine glasses now sometimes they're a bit more like goblets or fish bowls so there are some glasses that could fit half a bottle of wine. And I think when we're at home, we tend to be a bit more generous as well, especially if we're entertaining guests. But what we would say is always use a measure. And um, and measures are available free of charge, aren't they? They are indeed. So we've produced um, a measure cup, which has all of the standard drink markings for um, wine, spirits, and the whole cup itself is equal to a half pint. So that's available free of charge um, on drinkaware.ie. Um, so we've had hundreds of orders um, for the cup just this week, even as people are planning ahead for Christmas um, and, you know, entertaining guests and drinking themselves. But, you know, people do what we see with our research is that people are very willing to follow the guidelines and use things like standard drink measures in order to really track and keep an eye on how much they're drinking. It's just that sometimes... Um, they might not know where to start. And and, Miriam, this is an important point because there is a a lack of awareness, and I'm guilty of this myself, uh, of what the guidelines are in terms of of low-risk alcohol. There is. And I mean, it's something that we try to work hard on is um, putting it, putting the guidelines into really relatable, practical terms, which is why the cup is so useful. So, I mean, you know, it says it all where our research found that just 2% of Irish adults can identify the guidelines. So, I mean, I think that says it all there. Can, can, you, so, rem- can you remind us briefly what they are? I can, of course. So, for women, it is 11 standard drinks spread out over the week. And for men, it's 17 standard drinks spread out over and, the and week. And what, what is a standard drink? I mean, if, if I have a pint of Guinness, how many standard drinks is that? So, a pint is two standard drinks. So, that's a real common misconception. So, common examples of one standard drink include a half pint of lager, a 100 ml small glass of wine, or a pub measure of spirits, which is 35.5 mils. 
And as I say, our standard drink glass has all of those markings, so it can be quite handy um, to measure out your alcohol at home. But, you know, with just 2% of adults knowing what the guidelines are, we can't expect people to um, realise that they might need to drink a little bit less um, if they don't know the guidelines. So at Christmas, we're encouraging people to really just take a few minutes to go to our website and have a look at the guidelines. What's also what's also surprising, Miriam, is is, is what, it, what accounts for binge drinking because I'm looking in front of me here, binge drinking consumes of six or more standard drinks in one sitting. So three pints of beer or yeah. three small glasses of wine amounts to binge drinking. Yes, well, so it would be six small glasses of wine or three pints of beer. So six standard drinks um, consumed in one sitting. So that's the World Health Organization definition of binge drinking. Um, so, yeah, it is a lot lower than people um, tend to think. Um, but it is the widely accepted um, definition of binge drinking. So I suppose when you think, when you actually get to know the guidelines themselves, you know, 11 standard drinks could for women could be a lot less than um, some women actually think, I mean, that's the equivalent of about a bottle of wine and then a few glasses of beer for the entire week. Not, so, for, one, not for one sitting. Exactly. So when you think of binge drinking in line with the guidelines, actually, it's not that dramatic a difference. Um, it's, it's just really about getting to know what the guidelines are and using practical tools and, like the cup. And you do recommend that people have two days a week at least alcohol free. Absolutely. Um, at least two days um, a week without alcohol, just to give your body time to um, repair itself, to recharge, and also for your own um, overall well-being. You know, your mental health will improve. You'll have more energy. Um, it's, it's just good definitely to get into the habit of having um, increasing the number of alcohol-free days you have in the week. And finally, Miriam, where can people get more information? So people can visit drinkaware.ie. So there we have a range of information, including details on the lowest guidelines. And um, you can place an order for our measure cup. But also I'd encourage people to take a look at our drinks calculator, which is a really quick tool that people can use to find out if they're currently drinking within the guidelines. Um, and then there's tips to make. You, you won't mind if I wait till after Christmas, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works for you. <laughs> Miriam Tabor, Communications Manager with Drink Aware. We thank you for your time this morning. And as Miriam said there, more information is available on the Drink Aware website. We're going to be talking Josie Mourinho and the end of an era after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Yes, this is the Michael Reed Show. Only the couple of minutes left before we wrap up at 11 o'clock. A reminder, as always, that we would welcome your comments on any of the stories covered today or indeed anything else that is catching your attention. 86 658 is our text number. 86 658 at LMFM Radio on Twitter and WhatsApp. And of course, we're also across Facebook. Miriam, uh, we will 86 658 if your name is Miriam and you'd like to send us a text. We'd be delighted to hear from you. And of course, Marie will be back with us tomorrow to go through your comments uh, just after 10 o'clock. Uh, Call sitting in for the rest of the week. Now, if you're a Manchester United fan, you may be celebrating the fact that Jose Mourinho is no longer the manager. If you're a Liverpool fan, you may be delighted with the news that your team ended the Jose Mourinho era. Here to discuss all that and a lot more is Paul Lennon, football correspondent with the Irish Daily Star newspaper. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. Inevitable, I suppose, that Mourinho would bite the bullet at some stage this season? It, it was. It was only a matter of time and after Sunday, we, we, we all of us who watched the game on Sunday on the TV, we, we witnessed a pretty sad performance by Manchester United against a, a very good Liverpool team and Liverpool are on the up. They could well win the league title this season, if not 
good chance next year to win the Champions League this season. They're, they have that ability within them. Uh, their team in the up, Manchester United, their team actually regressing every week. Uh, and that's uh, for, for Manchester United, uh, for their fans, for the club, for the institution, is a, a really sad state of affairs. It's only five and a half years since they won the league, of course. But um, it might as well be 55 years now at this stage. It was ironic, Paul. I watched the game on Sunday and, you know, United were lucky. They got back to one all, but Liverpool were the better team. And it, it took Shaqiri, who we're going to meet in the European Championships a, a little later next season. And this season, um, it took him to turn the game on its head. But United, they would have been blessed to get a point. And then on Monday night, I was at home watching, uh, it came across by accident, but a brilliant documentary on George Best. And part of that was how Manchester United struggled to replace Sir Matt Busby when he when he retired at only 58 years of age post-Munich. But they have struggled, haven't they not, to replace Sir Alex Ferguson? That's it. And um, it's, it's, they're now in a cycle that you, other great clubs, like, like United back then in the early 70s, that Wilf McGuinness, that Frank O'Farrell, most people believe that Frank O'Farrell got a, a raw enough deal. He was only there, I think, with 18 months and he got the heave-ho. Tommy Doherty came in and got success in, in, in the Cup and they pushed in the league without ever really looking as if they'd win it. Uh, so they went into a cycle of replacing the manager every few years and now they're exactly back where they are. Five and a half years later, they're now in the process of, of appointing the fourth post-Fergie manager and there's no guarantee the way they've handled the last three appointments that the next one will be success because they don't seem capable of making the big decision. I did a piece in today's Star just pointing out that twice they failed to uh, uh, sign uh, Pep Guardiola who was available at the two key, prior to the two uh, key um, departures of uh, after Ferguson went, he was available. He wasn't managing anybody at the time, and he would have enjoyed that job. And he was he was tailor made for this, the type of football he plays. Is a carbon copy. It's actually a, it's a development of what Ferguson did at United. It echoes what Fenger did in the early days at Arsenal, and, and what he's since done at Manchester City, as we've seen. It's a blueprint of what he did at, at Barcelona. Um, and people seem to be hung up on the fact that he didn't win the Champions League with Bayern Munich. Well, you're not guaranteed success in football, but what he did alone at Barcelona has made him the, the foremost attacking coach in world football and Manchester United didn't appoint him uh, and you know Bayern Munich got in ahead of him in 2013 a few years later after Van Gaal was in the last months of his uh, era City went and did the deal with him in October prior to him being appointed at, at, uh, at City and where were United and I think United's problems are deeper than just what happens in the dugout? Well, the one, the one constant in all of those appointments that you refer to is the Glazers. Is the Glazers now? And one thing that has to be said, though, that, that um, you know that, that Woodward, the, the current chief executive, uh, is, was was in post in situ for the more recent uh, failure to appoint Guardiola. But David Gill was the was in was in the position previously, and Ferguson was there. So to me, why weren't Ferguson and Gill? Looking at Guardiola and seeing him as the as as the new generation of, of, of Ferguson type managers. A friend of mine is a Manchester United season ticket holder, and he keeps telling me that they get text messages and emails nearly every second day saying that you can buy your Manchester United mattress via this company or your Manchester United lampshade via that company, etc. So, I mean, commercially they are making huge money. They're one of the most lucrative and profitable companies in world football. They did back Mourinho. They gave him four hundred million pounds. That, that's it. Yeah, admit that that, that Mourinho didn't get, uh, and he, he bleated on about it. And uh, Mourinho, what a brilliant manager he is. Even though his football at times isn't isn't great to watch, but I think you have to maybe 
uh, you could clarify that and say maybe he was a great manager because most of what he did at United wasn't particularly attractive. It did yield two, two trophies, fair enough. But he, Which United fans will point out is more than Liverpool have won in the last yeah, five and years, which, by the way. Or more than Spurs have won. Mm. You know, so uh, there is a, a point. But I think where United, United are judged on Champions League and Premier League uh, trophies. And, and of course, so is Mourinho because that's what he delivered for Chelsea and, 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 other, and Madrid and um, Inter Milan. So... If, if you're United, you're judged at the highest level, and neither the manager nor the club are at that highest level. And as you say, there's this whole commercial arm to United now. And that's you, you wonder is who, who runs who runs the club now? Is it a football club with a commercial arm, or a commercial company with a football arm? He did spend 89 million and authorised it on Pogba. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, United fans and general fans, and Sports supporters would have said, "Yeah, great signing." And what he did in the in the World Cup for France again prompted the question amongst most people: "Well, oh, maybe he'll come back in in the new season, and there'll be a new relationship, and he will be the person that will spark the United revival." Instead, the relationship between Mourinho and him actually got worse, which is which is so much cheaper. He looked he looked a sad figure on Sunday, didn't he? With he the did, rain, yeah. Mourinho looked. Top if you look, he never like he moved. He, he was staying in. Uh, the Lowry Hotel, which is a, a fine, fine hotel in Manchester. <laughs> but do you really want to be stuck in, in the penthouse suite for two and a half years of your life? I don't think he ever really wanted Where uh, Where does he go from here, Paul? He, I think he'll get another big club because people will look at what he did previously to United. It and won't it, be in England, though, will it? Well, I don't think it'll be in England. Uh, but yeah, one of the big clubs in, in, in this Inter Milan have been linked with him. Uh, so Real Madrid, because of what he did before, and because he is such a big character in football, and he is able to harness uh, dressing rooms and get the best out of players. So I think people who are writing him off are wrong. I, don't be surprised if he comes back and wins another another major trophy to the Champions League again at, at a big club because he's capable of doing it. In terms of of the the next appointment, you know, it seems to be that Pochettino is going to be the heir apparent once Solskjaer departs as interim manager. It, it, it's it's that's it seems to be the, 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 the smart early money is going in that. Uh, interesting, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big, it's a, big, it's a bit of a dilemma for uh, Pochettino because uh, he's, he's he's overseeing the development of Spurs to the to where the, the to the highest position in, in English football. Given the circumstances, since they won the double back in 1961, which is a long, long time ago, so they were a brand new stadium. Uh, they, they are well financed, not to the same level as City or Liverpool or uh, Chelsea, but this, they can are I, now can I just capable. Just cut across you for one second, Paul, because we're getting some breaking news here, and we expect we expect um, that Vinnie Perth and John Gill will be appointed as the new management team at Dundalk. Just before you go, what's your view of that? Uh, it's, it's interesting that the uh, that. Uh, they've got. They've now gone back to John Gill, who was um, who the manager. Of course, got them out of the first division ten years ago, and and then uh, departed a few weeks later, which is strange. Uh, it's it's the, it's the compromise that they were looking for initially with uh, Mick Neville, who's who was of course involved with, with Dundalk on the youth level, to come in because uh, on his own, um, Vinnie Perth does not have the, the, the club licensing requirement. The, the, the UI for pro license too. And that, has, cha- that has changed of late, hasn't it? You could previously apply for the license. Yeah, and, and be allowed to do it. So they had to bring in someone who has the uh, the pro license, and John Gill f- fits that bill. Now, there was negotiation with the FBI because the FBI initially weren't overly happy with this. Obviously, clarification has been uh, uh, received by the, by the FBI on this. So John Gill, it'll be a giant managership, but... Um, 
I'd say Vinnie Perrett would be very much calling the shots. And that's very much see. continuity from the Stephen Kenny era. Yeah, and that's, what, and that's what Dundalk wanted because they have a lot of faith in, in Vinnie Perrett. When can we expect an announcement? Uh, I'd say pretty pretty soon. If this is um, uh, if this is, is now looks as if you're telling me that this now looks as going to happen soon, presumably before Christmas. And I know Vinnie has already uh, made preparations uh, for next season, hasn't he? He's been working away with the yeah, squad. Yeah, like Daniel Kelly, the, the really good Bohemians player, is I think on his way. Well, you never know if if Giller and Vinnie do a good job, they could end up at Manchester United <laughs> someday. Yeah, look at all that. <laughs> Paul Lennon, football correspondent with the Irish Daily Star. Thank you so much for your time tomorrow. My thanks to Marie, to Ross and to Chris. We'll be back tomorrow just after nine o'clock. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from nine on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 